Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by the Art of Manliness store at store.artofmanliness.com. You can find all sorts of Art of Manliness swag. Of course, we got t-shirts, we've got coffee mugs. We also have one-of-a-kind products like our Ben Franklin Virtues Journal or our Carry the Fire Zippo Lighter inspired by Cormac McCarthy's novel, The Road. We also have a big clearance sale going on, some items up to 60% off. And if it's your first time purchasing from the Art of Manliness store, use code AOMPODCAST to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, store.artofmanliness.com, code AOMPODCAST for 10% off your first purchase. All your purchases from the Art of Manliness store help support the Art of Manliness podcast, as well as the content we produce on artofmanliness.com. Thank you. So I think at one time or another, every guy has thought about or fantasized about being a Navy SEAL. You watch the movies, you watch those shows on Discovery Channel where you go inside what it's like to train to be a Navy SEAL, what it's like to be a Navy SEAL, and it just looks freaking awesome, but also incredibly difficult. And my always thought is like, is this something that you're just born to do, or can a Navy SEAL be created. And also, I mean, can we as civilians, if you don't even if you don't plan on being a Navy SEAL, are there lessons we can take from Navy SEALs on how to develop mental toughness, uh, emotional and mental resilience and sort of that focus and vision that the SEALs are famous for? Well, our guest today is a former Navy SEAL, and he has written a book on that topic, on how civilians can take lessons on mental and emotional resilience, on mental toughness, and apply it to their own life. His name is Mark Devine, and he is the author of the book, The Way of the Seal. In today's podcast, we talk about The Way of the Seal and how just average Joes can take lessons from the Navy SEALs and apply it to their own lives to improve it in every way possible. So stay tuned. All right, Mark Devine, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much, Brett. Pleasure to be here. Before we begin, let's talk a little bit about your background, because first, it's so fascinating. And second, uh, it seems like your book, The Way of the Seal, is a culmination of just these awesome life experiences you've had. So let's start. Like, I mean, how did you become a SEAL? Because you sort of had a uh, it wasn't your typical route to becoming a SEAL. So tell us, how did, how did this all happen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the, yeah, I, I wasn't, I, you know, I didn't come out of high school or even college thinking I was going to be a SEAL. In fact, you know, uh, from my upstate New York upbringing, you know, I was pretty much groomed to go into business. My family has a family business that's over 100 years old. And it was just kind of expected that I would, I would get some business experience and then kind of come back and maybe head the charge uh, for the family. And so I, I did the right things. You know, I went to Colgate University in upstate New York, which is a pretty good liberal arts school. I majored in economics, and I was I was a you know an athlete, an endurance athlete during that time. But that didn't really uh, mean much to me at the time. But then uh, when I graduated, I got a job with a firm named Coopers and Librand, which is now Pricewaterhouse Coopers, which is one of the big eight accounting firms back in the day. It was 1985, believe it or not. And so the job was in Manhattan. So I went down to New York City and they sent me to NYU to get my MBA. And, you know, I spent a couple of years cranking away, uh, working as an auditor and then a, then a consultant and then, you know, getting my MBA at night and then, you know, sitting for the CPA exam. And so within a short period of time, by the time I was 24, I had an MBA and CPA and was doing all the right things. Right, Brett? I'm mm-hmm. just like probably you going to law school and then, end yeah. up, you know running art of mentalness because you wondered what the hell you went to law school for at some point. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, I kind of wondered what the heck I was doing 
in that corporate world because it you know, I just didn't sit well with me. I didn't really like the people I was around, you know, with all due respect to those folks in that environment. At the time, there was a lot of greed and, you know, a lot of ego and, and you know, the long hours for really just what amounted to a paycheck. And I didn't, um, you know, I just had this growing sense of unease. And fortunately, um, I strolled into a martial arts studio one day and the, you know, I was completely blown over by the type of training and the type of people they were at the studio. It was called Sato Karate. And, and so the, the founder, uh, Tadashi Nakamura was his name, became my first, you know, kind of real mentor in life. And his training was very much of a integrated whole person nature, meaning that, you know, we worked our asses off on the training floor, but then we would sit in meditation and we would have these discussions like little, you know, kind of meditation lectures. And also we went to a few retreats up at the Zen Mountain Monastery in, in New York. And, and that, um, that work kind of cultivating that, um, you know, the, the softer side of myself, I suppose you call it the, you know, the meditation and the, you know, the self-reflection and the awareness development really started to open my mind to number one, the fact that I was kind of misaligned doing this corporate ladder job. And number two, that I really wanted to go out and challenge myself uh, beyond measure in something that was going to, you know, be inspire me and, and really um, teach me, you know, leadership and have me lead and kind of messy, situations, you know, kind of real visceral type of leadership, which is what, you know, inspired me. And also that that was a physical calling, you know, because I really, you know, I love the physical life. And I obviously didn't appreciate the steady decline I saw of my body and um, in, in my peers. And so one day I was walking uh, down the street and I saw a poster from the Navy Recruiting Command and it said, be someone special. And I said, that sounds cool. And it was for the Navy SEALs. And so I really, um, that's what first inspired me. So I, you know, began to look into it and one thing led to another and pretty much, you know, decided that I was going to head down that road. And so at 25 years old, I bolted from corporate America and went to Oscar Cannon School, then through SEAL training. Of course, there are a lot of steps in between here that I'm leaving out, but um, went through SEAL training uh, in 1990 and was in class 170 and Loved it. Graduated as uh, honor man of my class, and um, you know, never looked back. But then, even at so you, you you, but even after you did Navy the the Navy SEAL, you retired. I mean, actually, you don't really retire, but you know, you stopped doing that. You right. actually went back to business, right? Right, right. You know, you I was uh, I was a twenty year SEAL, but only roughly nine of that was active duty years, and so I went through a, my first stint was seven years. Uh, my marriage to Sandy, who was a Coronado girl, you know, which is the, where the training command is, that, that kind of sidetracked my active duty career. You know, it was really difficult. I like to say that if uh, the SEALs had wanted me to have a wife, they would have issued me one because, you know, very, very <laughs> soon after our marriage, I was gone for like, you know, close to nine months and, you know, through a couple different deployments and my wife was freaking out and saying, I'm not sure, you know, I, I, I thought I understood what I was getting into, but I don't think I can, you know, really hang for a 20 year career like this. And so I was forced to make a choice and I chose, you know, to, to keep the marriage and mm-hmm. to get off active duty, but I stayed in the reserves. Uh, there's a few reserve officers, you know, there's a, a few hundred SEAL reservists and, you know, a handful of us officers. And so we were able to plug in and do some very, very interesting and important work on the reserve side. So, you know, over the next uh, 11 years, I was mobilized a couple times to active duty to go to Iraq and other places. And, you know, I worked at a variety of commands in different positions doing special projects. And so that's how I finished out my 20 years. And, and you know, during that reserve time, I was able to go back into business, as you said, and and build a number of of businesses that were, you know, varying degrees of success. You know, I built a microbrewery in uh, San Diego called the Coronado Brewing Company that's kicking ass to this day. Mm No longer involved in that, but I went on to build a um, NavySeals.com, you know, which is a mm-hmm. community and e-commerce website, and uh, my training business called SealFit, and now I'm working on Unbeatable Mind, which is, um, you know, about training mental, mental and emotional and you know, spiritual toughness, really. Um, so it's been it's been a pretty remarkable career, actually. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's a like a, a renaissance man. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your your uh, I guess business or your the training programs you developed 
not just for civilians, but for people who are, you know, would be SEALs, right? Right. right. And what's, I, what I found amazing is that through your, your programs, um, you know, training programs for buds, you were able to help reduce the attrition rate, like pretty significantly. Right. Well, let's, there, we have to, you know, for my, my SEAL buddies who okay. critique, critique me, I have to be very specific. All right, about be specific. Which we're talking about. So I started back in 2006, I started the nationwide uh, SEAL mentor program, which is a, which was a government contract. Mm-hmm. And uh, we took in, in the first year alone, we took the pass rate for, the candidates, right, mm-hmm. who are going into the Navy wanting to be SEALs. Gotcha. We took the pass rate from 33% to over 85% on the tests that they took when they show up at boot camp. Mm-hmm. So w- before before me and, and the mentor program, 30, only 33% of the candidates even going into boot camp wanting to be a SEAL were qualified. And after my first year of that program, over 85%, that program, you know, went on and it's, it, it, I'm not involved anymore, but that program today has been attributed with uh, increasing the throughput or said another way, which is the way you said it, decreasing the attrition rate by three to 5% at BUDS training. So that's powerful. But then, then one more thing, you know, because this is a stat I cite in my way of the SEAL. Sure. Um, I went on to create SealFit, which is for private, you know, citizens mm-hmm. who pay me. It's not a government contract. Okay. I don't have any a formal relationship with the Navy, but I have SEAL candidates and Spec Ops candidates from around the world who come train with me. And of the SEAL candidates that come train with me and spend, you know, time at my uh, Special Ops Immersion Academy, which is a three-week, you know, live-in academy that ends with a simulated hell week experience called Kokoro camp. So the guys who want to be seals who come, you know, invest that amount of time with me, uh, have, they have over a 90% success rate getting through seal training. So those are the two different stats. One is the stat from when I actually was hired by the Navy. Mm -hmm. And the other is, you know, the results from the individuals who don't want to be a statistic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So here's a question. So, I mean, what did you find? Like when you went in as a government contractor, to right. help these candidates, you know, just get ready, right? Right. Uh-huh. Like, what were the candidates doing or not doing that caused them to not succeed? Uh, and what? How did your training change that? I mean, what, what what were your observations? My observations is a lot of the guys going into the program, and this is, you know, we can translate this conversation to anything in life, anything challenge, mm-hmm. challenging, right? Uh, the seals just tend to, you know, are one of the more challenging things you can choose to do in life, right? Well, many of them had a very, there are two, two ways. They, they didn't prepare properly because they didn't adequately uh, research and understand the magnitude of the task that they were going to undertake. Right. And so, you know, maybe they spent too much time watching uh, seal stuff on TV or in a video (laughs) game and they didn't really get out and, and do things like come to my training and, and find a SEAL mentor and really get out there and spend a good two or three years preparing for it because that's really what it takes. Mm-hmm. So that was one. And the other thing is they had an unrealistic um, expectation or view of their own um, competency, mm-hmm. right? And so they really did – they lacked the awareness to understand their weaknesses, to understand you know um, the, the mental shortcomings, and to really do the work to, to shore up their, you know, chances of success and, and to inoculate themselves against failure. Yeah. So you know, all, both, both of those are, you know, with the right training and guidance are easily o- overcome, right? You can, you can learn how to prepare properly for anything. I mean, you and I could go climb Mount Everest, sure. but I, we're not going to get on the plane and go tomorrow, no. right? And same thing with SEAL training. And then, you know, as part of that training, you've got to understand, you know, where your weak points are, where you're going to break, you know, and, and then you close those openings so that those are strong and then it's okay for you to focus on your strengths so that you can accelerate, but you got to at least close the openings for those weaknesses. Yeah. That, that second, um, observation you made that everyone, you know, overestimates their competency. That's, that gets us, everyone thinks they're above average, right? Right. But that's not possible. It's not, it's you know, what's really, this brings up a really interesting thing. I've been toying around with lumosity, which is, you know, brain mm-hmm. training. I'm sure yeah. you're familiar with that. And, you know, I, I honestly, you know, I, I do a lot of mental training and, you know, I'm a former Navy SEAL and have an MBA and everything. And so I, you know, I ripped through 
a few rounds of Lumosity and I'm like, man, I must be doing great. You know? <laughs> and then I check myself against the standards and I'm like below 50% yeah. on every one of them. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> like you just made me feel like a dunce. Yeah. I better start training, you know? Yeah. That's <laughs> but, really yeah, funny. To your point, you know, everyone overestimates. Everyone themselves. estimates. And I think maybe there's also, uh, I guess a popular conception that like, you know, Navy SEALs are born not yeah. made like you either either got it or you don't and like you know buds well there is like the sort of the filtering factor that determines yeah, that, whether you got it or you don't right that's not true at all yeah you know physical and mental toughness are developed right now they can be developed deliberately through training or they can develop by your life circumstances mm-hmm. but either way they're developed yeah you know Okay. So let's talk, uh, let's get into your book, The Way of the Seal, uh, because basically you take all these life experiences from your martial arts training to your experience uh, serving as a Navy SEAL, um, your experience as an entrepreneur, right. and you t- sort of set out these principles and lay out these principles. And one of the, what I found interesting is that as I was reading it, I, I'm really into this stuff, right? I'm, I'm all into like, you know, men, building your mental resilience and meditation. Right. And as I was reading, I, I was reading, I was thinking, you know, a lot of people could read this and, you know, pick it up and they thought, oh, this could be like a Navy SEAL book. Hoorah. But, you know, a lot of <laughs> right. people would read it and be like, this is sort of woo woo. It's like, you know, visualization, developing your intuition. Right. Um, but what I what I found is interesting is I, it seems like the military is actually sort of embracing this mental development. They are. Yeah. yeah, very much so. And so, I mean, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, sure. did your um, – the principles you laid out, sort of the mental development, did you see some of that um, used in the military or is that – you're just starting to see that develop now? What's going on there? Um, the answer is both. It was not prevalent at all when I went through training. Having said that, back in the you know 80s, there were – a couple projects that were, you know, kind of forerunners of what's what we see happening on a broader scale today. Uh, the Trojan Horse Project is a good example where they took some seals and green berets and they trained them in meditation and aikido, and you know, awareness practices, and you know, tested them over the six-month period. And they found that they were more resilient, they were more focused, they were calmer, and they were performing better, right? And you know, of course, those programs ended up getting scrapped when you know. Um, it just was deemed as impractical. And all it takes is one guy, one skeptic to strike yeah. a pen, pen through that. And so they didn't really go anywhere. But uh, I remember reading about those and thinking about those early on when I went into the SEALs. And because of my martial arts experience before the SEALs and my experience with meditation, I, I understood that advanced warrior traditions from many cultures throughout history had used a combination of hard and soft training to develop warriors. And, and I, I figured, you know, why, why should I be any different? Even if the SEALs weren't actively teaching me this stuff, I continued to train and, uh, on my own. And, and there were a few other people in the teams that were, you know, had the same warrior ethos that uh, were developing themselves along these ways. And having said that, the nature of special ops really is, you know, so um, – you know, there's a couple aspects that really, really support that type of training. For instance, um, and most uh, notably, is that you really spend a lot of time in silence in the mm-hmm. spec ops community. You can imagine that, right? We have yeah. to sneak everywhere we get, and you know, if you if you get caught, basically, you screwed up, or you know, you might spend like for me, you know, ten hours in a submarine, you know, a mini submarine surrounded by a cone of cold water. Uh, the only thing you can hear is your breathing. Well, then you tend to get, you know, you can either just waste that time and get to the target and do your op, or you can use that time to condition yourself mentally and emotionally and, you know, do some training, right? That that internal training, like con- concentration and deep breathing and stuff like that. And so, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to develop, you know, and a lot of the guys do develop deep intuition and some of those other aspects that come out of that type of training and the seals tend to be very instinctual intuitive and accelerated learners because of the nature of the uh, operations and the training that they go through interesting yeah, yeah. and then one more thing you sure. know i want to do say is today um first of all you know i've trained you know hundreds of, of seals now who are in the forest have gotten through and they've all been doing yoga and visualization and breathing practices, you know, since I trained them. And so, you know, and they're now leading teams. And so it's become a lot more common. And I know a bunch of uh, Marines who are being, you know, getting trained in yoga and mindfulness. And then there's some tests going on. In fact, uh, Doug Johnson is a Dr. Doug Johnson was with us 
uh, worked with me at our SEALs Fit Training Center as an athlete. And now he's with like uh, Naval Health Research Lab or something like that. And they, they're actually testing the effects of meditation and breath control and visualization on active duty SEALs. So there's a few, you know, very, um, you know, interesting and, um, you know, optimistic type projects going on where, you know, I think, you know, the, the prevailing view is that within 10 years that this type of training will be commonplace in the military. Yeah. I'm, I'm, we've actually, I did a, an article about that sort of researching like biofeedback in the military right. and they're hoping not only does it make them make, make people better soldiers, uh, but it could also help with the PTSD that's become sure. very prevalent. Um, and, that, and that's where it all started initially. It's like oh, the, the rehabilitation of the warriors coming back. But then, you know, there, there was also another interesting thing with a lot of the EOD guys coming back saying that they, you know, reporting, you know, really intuitive experiences or, in, you know, insight experiences where they could, you know, sense that there was a, a bomb in the road right ahead, or they could see, you know, have an image of it being placed by someone. And then they started to pay attention to these and it saved a lot of lives. And so the uh, uh, another, I'm not sure which you know group in the Navy is studying this, but they're really studying intuition and the role that played in the in the combat warrior as well. And so it's going to be both, um, you know, from the post recovery, you know, using the tools to help facilitate recovery from PTSD, but also, you know, in the training phase to make the warrior more resilient and more aware, and to be able to handle the chaos and the confusion a lot better. Very cool. Uh, so let's yeah. talk about some of your specific principles. The ones that really leaped out to me while I was reading the book was the uh-huh. first one was uh, you have to establish your set point. Right. You know, what is your set point and why is that so important that you do that first? Well, one of the things that, again, was powerful about the SEAL experience is that we, we had um, – we very clearly understood where we were at because of the training, right? The training, you know, itself um, baselined us and we could see where we were at compared to our peers and where we were at compared to where we needed to be to operate at an elite level. And so, you know, the delta between uh, where we're at and where we needed to be was, was measured. And then a roadmap was created so that we can get from here to there. And of course there was, to be able to accomplish a Navy SEAL, you know, mission set. Um, and so this idea, you know, what, what I carried forward into the way of the SEAL and that I try to teach people is that, you know, you, in order to know where you want to go in life, you know, if you can radar lock on your, on your future mission and your purpose in life or your purpose and then the mission's kind of tied to that purpose, that's really powerful. But you can't get there until you also know where you are today. Right. And that's your set point. And the elements of the set point are to be very, very clear about your uh, what you're passionate about and what your principles are. And those principles then are going to be like guardrails that guide you uh, and hold you steady as you, you know, progress toward, you know, that future mission and, and uh, you know, future state that you're looking for. So the set point is like looking deep within yourself and determining, okay, where am I right now? What are, what are my passions? What are my purpose? What are my principles? Where where do I stand? Mm -hmm. What are the skills and knowledge that I possess and what do I need to develop in order to get where I want to go in life? Yeah. I like that idea of figuring out where you are first before you begin. Uh, It sort of takes away the illusion of that I'm above average, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I mean, everyone's got unique skills and stuff, but if you really want to, um, to break through to another level and to live an incredible life. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means more room for your gear. And there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Texas Pete is the sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. 
Each Texas peat sauce is packed with a bold, balanced flavor. The signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. Their hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and it's not for the faint of heart. They also got a flavor called Sabor by Texas Pete. Adds authentic Mexican flavor. And they also have a dust-dry seasoning that matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub. But... The flavor that I've been enjoying lately is the chop sriracha sauce. It's got chili, garlic, and some tropical tangy notes. It's really good. I love putting on my eggs. Texas Pete sauce like you mean it. Visit texaspeat.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And you can use promo code podcast24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com. That's podcast24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com check out the sriracha cha sauce if you're like my family we're getting to the busy part of the year spring sports are happening a lot of after school activities so sometimes planning and cooking dinner just don't have time for that that's where factor meals comes in with factor you get fresh never frozen meals that are chef crafted dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes with factor you get restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are no prepping no cooking no cleanup needed it's also less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So we've been using Factory Meals in the McKay household for a while now. There's a lot of reasons why we like them. First off, the food tastes great. Last week, I had creamy pesto pork chop with spinach, cauliflower, rice, roasted green beans. Tasted fantastic. But the big selling point, it's easy. There's no cooking. There's no cleaning up. It's great for those nights when you're busy and you don't have much time. Uh, to to take care of dinner and you don't want to do takeout because you feel gross after takeout. If you'd like to try Factor Meals, head to factormeals.com slash manliness50 and use code manliness50 to get 50% off. That's code manliness50 at factormeals.com slash manliness50 to get 50% off. Check it out today and make sure to check out the creamy pesto pork chop. It's really good. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss, a lot of useful information in there, talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM, masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Uh, you know, you have to step back and acknowledge that, you know, you're probably operating at, at just a, a, a fraction of a percentage or at, a, you know, at least a small percentage of your potential. Yeah. And that potential is ever expanding as we deepen our own awareness and, and our creativity opens up and we start to use, you know, the full capacity of our human intelligences. And I say that with a plural S, you know, intelligences. So you have to have a pretty honest and humble acceptance of where you are today so that you can start uh, driving forward. Yeah, and that can be really hard. Uh, It can be. It can be very hard, but it's it's worth it in the end. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Huckberry is my favorite place to shop online because they have everything a guy needs or wants. Everything from clothing, stuff for your everyday carry, like pocket knives, even little totems, little things you can carry around, camping equipment, things to furnish your home with. Pretty much all the clothes I own are from Huckberry. They own a brand called Flint and Tinder. They make everything from underwear, jeans, t-shirts, hoodies. They got a wax trucker jacket. You name it, they've got it. I love it because it just it's classic, down to earth, rugged, and it's all made in the USA. Everyday carry pocket knives. My favorite pocket knife is from Huckberry. It's this one from a company based out of New Mexico. They have a dinosaur bone put into the handle. It's pretty cool. And the blade's really nice. So if you want to see some of the things I've gotten from Huckberry over the years, go to aom.is slash aomhuck. See some of my favorite things. And if it's your first time purchasing, use code ART15 at checkout to save 15% on your first purchase. So again, check out aom.is slash aomhuck. That's A-O-M-H-U-C-K. And if it's your first time purchasing, use code ART15 at checkout to save 15% off on your first purchase. And now back to the show. Um, so, okay. Like after you establish your step point, then you start talking about some 
what I love about it's what the way the seal is all about, and it's something I'm loving. I'm because I'm constantly working on this is b- developing mental toughness, developing emotional and mental resilience. Right. Um, and so, I mean, what are some specific tactics? We talked about meditation, but be- beyond right. meditation, um, what are some other specific things that people can do to develop that sort of mental resilience? Right. You know, mental toughness and emotional resiliency are like two sides of the same coin. Right. And so um, emotional resiliency really is best um, developed through challenging yourself, uh, putting yourself in circumstances that are very uncomfortable, you know, learning to take some risks and to put yourself out there. And, you know, that's that causes you to and that that doesn't have to be physical. Right. It can be, you know, it can be a a task or a skill like jumping out of an airplane or, you know, just engaging in, you know, really difficult conversations that are hard for some, you know, for a guy to engage in. And so you've got to take risk and you've got to open yourself up and, and that develops emotional awareness and emotional resiliency. Another thing that develops resiliency is really, um, having a, um, really taking your eyes off yourself and putting them on others, you know, mm. and this is another area again, that guys can be s- slow to the bat on, right. Be, you know, to, you know, women, you know, typically are, are quicker to be able to serve others. That's the way they're wired. But when, a, when, when men can start to take their eyes off themselves and put them, you know, put their eyes on their teammate and really seek to serve their teammate and to honor. Teammate. You know, this is a powerful concept for Navy SEALs because we learn to rely on our teammates with our lives. And so, you know, I had to trust you. In order to trust you, I had to be trustworthy. And, you know, by me taking care of you, I understand that you're implicitly going to take care of me. And so if I had a, a platoon of, you know, 16 SEALs and I'm I'm watching out for 15 of them, well, there's 15 guys watching out for me. Yeah. How cool is that, you know? That is and really so that's, cool. That's a powerful way to develop emotional resiliency. Mental yeah. toughness, there's a whole bunch of, you know, really cool things that we could talk about. But one of the, one of the most powerful ones is to, you know, you keep your, your front sight focused on your major goal or your mission, but then you, uh, when it comes to the day-to-day task, you chunk it down into micro goals and really achievable bite-sized chunks that you can, you know, bite off, have a success, you know, note the success, develop momentum and confidence around those small successes. And then, you know, pretty soon you've already achieved the big one without even thinking about it. Yeah. Very cool. I love that point about developing emotional resilience, uh, you know, focusing on others because um, right now we're, I'm doing a series of articles about attention, right? The science right. of attention. And one right. of the things that we've discovered or research has discovered is that whenever we start thinking about ourselves, sort of like right. that, you know, going inward and just think about ourselves, like we tend to focus on the negative. Right. Right. It's like, and that's what our brain does automatically. Uh, it's, right. We have that bias. Um, so yeah, once you start thinking about yourself, you start thinking about, you start getting down, you turn into an Eeyore basically. Um, <laughs> right. And what they say is that once you start, like the research is done, like they've done the MRI scans of the brain, that once people start thinking about others, that negativity, those that, you know, the plays in our brain that sort of flashes negativity goes away. It silences, it quiets down. It does. Yeah. Well, you can't, you know, it's a, it's the ultimate act of positivity, right? Yeah. When you, when you're taking care of someone else, when you're serving someone else, you, you, the act is positive in by its very nature. And so it, you know, it eradicates or shuts off any negativity, both emotionally and thought wise in your, in your body, in your mind. So you're right. You know, let me talk about that point you just brought up. Mm -hmm. You know, we do have these two sides to our lives, the intentional, which is basically just our own thoughts and feelings and desires. And then the attentional, as you said, which is, you know, how we uh, focus on others and how we interact with the others. I call those two spheres, the I and the we, right? The we is the team and the attention and the, and the, or the I is the intentional. That's just me. And then the we is the attentional. Now, one of the keys to mental toughness is to learn to um, interrupt and to shift that negativity bias and to acknowledge it and to interrupt it and shift it. And that, you know, that takes a little bit of practice, right? And so the tools that we teach to basically um, become intentionally positive to where it's um, mostly, I, I'm not going to suggest that you can 100% be positive because I don't think that's really realistic because you're right, the, the human brain is wired and to, you know, always be on guard for, mm-hmm. for um, danger and your amygdala takes that information and processes everything and, and it's got a negativity bias, but you can, and I've proven through my, with my training, you can 
be aware of it and create a, a nice gap between the arising of that negative response and your um, reaction to it. And so within that gap, you have a choice to essentially shift fire and uh, to cancel that out and to move toward positive territory. And that's one of the things I teach. So intentionally, it's very powerful to maintain, you know, to learn how to maintain what I call positivity, which is a positive mental dialogue and a positive imagery and a positive emotional state. And when you do this, it, it tends to supercharge your performance because you are able to, you know, uh, really affect others a little bit more positively from an example standpoint. Even if you're not in an attentional stage or, you know, working with another team, your attitude, your, um, you know, your optimism, all these things are going to be attractive to the right kind of people and are going to, um, you know, put you in their leadership role because you're motivating, right? And you're optimistic. And so part of uh, being a great leader is to, to be both intentionally positive and attentionally <laughs> positive. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. Well, so this sort of leads me to my next question, um, sort of that, you know, being aware of that negativity bias or being aware of just what's going on in your, your mind and your body. Um, so I'm not, I'm not a law enforcement, I'm not uh, military, but like I, I do sort of like, I love le- learning about tactical stuff. And sure. one of the things I learned about is the, the Cooper color code, uh-huh. uh, which you cover, which is sort of like a, for those of you who don't know, it's sort of a, a color code that this one, I guess a gunfighter, right. one of the best gunfighters who really revolutionized sure. gunfighting in America, right. um, developed to sort of be the sort of like situational awareness. Right. Um, so how do you apply that to a civilian? I mean, because it seems like it's just like if you got a gun, okay, I'm on yellow, you know, or I'm on red. Like, how how can you apply that just to a guy who does, is not caring? Well, a lot of it's you know about uh, again coming back to developing um, awareness. You, you call it situational awareness. I'm going to go back to the what I was just talking about. Situational awareness is awareness of what's going on around you in mm-hmm. the situation you're around. Well. In order to have situational awareness around you, you also have to have situational awareness of what's going on inside of you. And if you're, you know, a great great example that I like to use with my trainees, you know, how many times have you gone shopping, right? And, you know, some some women or guy literally is so unaware of you that they literally run their cart right into you, right? You know, that practically happens to me every time I go to a shopping, uh, you know, you know, whatever, I go to a, a store. And so they're clearly not situation aware. Now, what I what I teach um, my trainees is that, you know, the color code system, you know, white is ignorance, yellow is passive alertness, mm-hmm. okay? And passive alertness is the state that we want to develop to be always in. Now, it doesn't mean you're going around like, you know, sneaking around corners and you're <laughs> some paranoid nut. No, it just means that you, you're always scanning. It's like you've activated a, a radar scan and your scan is, um, you know, out there and it's active. It's, it's looking for threats externally and internally. And it doesn't mean you're not having a good time and stuff, but you don't let your guard down. You know, for instance, you go into a restaurant at night and you, you just scan the environment before you go in and you just look for anything unusual and you want to sense, is there anything unusual? Do you get a sense of, you know, something being off? And 99% of the time, you're not going to have any sense. So you're going to walk into the restaurant. But instead of just sitting next to the door with your back to the door and start pounding beers or a glass <laughs> of wine or something, you, you'll move to the rear of the restaurant, position yourself with your back to the wall so you can see the entrance and you can scan the environment and, and then just have a good time. But, you know, maintain control of your situation because you're out in public. And when time you're out in public, you know, you want to be a little bit more cautious and a little bit more alert than if you're behind a locked door in your home, right? And so you always have that state of yellow, you know, using Cooper's system of yellow passive alertness, right? Now, let's say using this restaurant example, you know, some big burly dude comes marching through the front door and he's starting to move toward you and you're sitting there with your wife and son and he's coming straight toward you. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to start to, you're going to jack up from yellow to what's called orange, which is active alert. Mm -hmm. And now orange is like, preparing for action, ratcheting up the DEFCON, you know, from DEFCON four to two, maybe. (laughs) And you don't know what this guy's intentions are. You don't have any clue yet. It seems like danger is coming your way, right? A loud noise would do this for people. You know, if you hear a car crash or screech and all of a sudden, you know, that's when people go from 
you know, either white to orange in their normal life. Well, I'm suggesting, you know, you stay in this data level and you go to orange when necessary. Now, in my example, let's say this guy is coming toward you. Then he smiles, turns and walks into the bathroom. Yeah. Well, you might go back down to the yellow at that point, or you might stay in orange until you see him leave the bathroom and depart the restaurant. But my point is you're, you're still ready for action. Now you're a little bit more relieved that he didn't, you know, didn't take action. He didn't have to escalate you to red, which is, you know, some sort of massive action is, is oh, going to happen. Yeah. So I see, I guess the point of it is just uh, remind It's a way to remind yourself like not to be passive in life. Right. It's not, it's part of it is just to think through it and be like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I want to, I want to be more alert. But then in the book, I also have drills to, to really develop that alertness, right. To develop the sensitivity to your, you know, intuitive self and to develop an awareness of your surroundings. And those are the things that we taught or we uh, trained for actively in the SEALs. Very good. So another thing throughout the book, you, you kind of mentioned this uh, earlier in the podcast, but um, throughout the book, you mentioned 20x challenges as a way, you know, you need to plan for those. I mean, so what are 20x challenges and, you know, how do they help forge mental toughness? Right. You know, to preface this, you know, we, as human beings, we grow through challenge and you and your listeners are very aware of that. And that's probably a big part of what you encourage people to do is to get out and challenge yourself. You know, if you can't do pull-ups then get on the pull-up bar and freaking, you know, challenge yourself to be able to do 10 pull-ups. Right. Um, and so we grow through challenge. Well, interesting thing about the human experience is if you don't go for the challenge, if you don't go after it, then the challenge will find you anyways and oftentimes will find you unprepared right yeah <laughs> and so that can be in the form of an accident or an illness or you know death of a loved one and, and now you've got to go through it but you're not prepared so what you know the 20x concept is that first of all you're capable of so much more than you think you are but you're not going to find it unless you challenge yourself so go out and find a challenge that's going to prove to you that you're capable of 20 times more than you think you are you know, for me, the Navy SEAL Hell Week was such a challenge. Now, I don't expect everyone to go join the SEALs and go through Hell Week, right? Obviously, that's not realistic. So, you know, you want to find challenges that are appropriate for your skill level and comfort level and physical, you know, aptitude. But then, you know, you want these challenges to grow in their magnitude. So you're constantly growing. So good examples like physically you know, if, if the, if your listeners are, are into physical training, you know, some of the challenges that I have my athletes do is like, okay, well, let's do a thousand pushups for time. Wow. You know, and, and last time I did this, it's been a couple of years, I did it in 39 minutes, you know, which was cool because that was, you know, that made me feel good. And I knew that, wow, you know, I've still got it, you know, and, <laughs> and at, at 49 years old, then I could still do a thousand pushups in 49 minutes or 39 minutes. And it was very, very gratifying for the, you know, one of the guys who I was doing it with who did it an hour and 10 minutes, but he finished it. And when he finished it, you know, he felt great about himself. And it wasn't something that he would have done, you know, wasn't, you know, not everyone just thinks, well, I'm going to do a thousand pushups right now. But, you know, how empowering is that? Yeah. You know, so we have a whole, I have a whole host of recommendations in the book and it doesn't have to be physical, right? Can be, you know, like I referenced earlier ago, my stepdaughter, Catherine, just went and did a, um, a tandem free fall jump. She'd always wow. wanted to do it. And finally she's like, I'm going to go do this. And man, did she have a ball? And so now she can't wait to get back and to try like a, her own, you know, static line, which is without the tandem guy and then mm. something else. So that was a 20 X challenge for her. And it, it expanded her sense of, you know, aliveness and, um, you know, ability to be in control of, of her life. Now, is it a 20 X challenge something you, you do like on a weekly basis or like quarterly? I mean, how often should you plan for these? I mean, should they be in our, should they be like really big? I guess. I mean, I guess I, sh- the idea is they're supposed to push you, right? Right. Well, the, the way I, I, you know, what works for me and what I think is really useful is to have small, small challenges that you hit up every week. And then you have, you know, a little bit bigger challenge that you hit up, you know, either quarterly or, or twice a year. And then, you know, to schedule and plan for like a major 20x challenge every year to year and a half. You know what I mean? That would be like that, you know, go climb McKinley or, you know, go to what our, our 20x challenge that people do with Seal Fit. My company is what's called Kokoro Camp. And Kokoro Camp is 50 hours of nonstop physical training. 
and it's modeled after Hell Week. And so I, you know, you give people a taste of Hell Week, but you know, our our main thing is to help you get through it and to to develop your mental toughness and your, you know, emotional resiliency, not to just have you quit. And so we try to get you through it. About eighty percent of the people who do it will make it, as opposed to the you know SEAL training, which is eighty percent don't make it. So that's an example of a twenty X challenge that people plan for over a year to a year and a half and train for. And it becomes a big deal for them. And when they come and accomplish it, you know, their life has changed. There's like pre-Kokoro and post-Kokoro life, just like there was for me and the SEALs, pre-SEALs and post-SEALs. So I'm sure there's guys listening to this podcast. Um, they're thinking like, man, sign me up. This is awesome. They read the book like, this is great. I'm super motivated. But then like, you know, two weeks later, they sort of just like, meh, they fall off the wagon. I think that happens to a lot of people with sort of self-development, sure. self-program. I think it's interesting that your book's called The Way of the Seal, right? right? So, I mean, how, how do you how do you help people get past it? I mean, what advice do you have for people who begin some sort of self-improvement program or building their mental resilience to get past those moments where they're just like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is like too much work. Yeah, there's a couple of things. First of all, you know, in, in, the, in the SEALs, we took a crawl, walk, run approach to training. You know, we had to basically learn how to crawl when we were shooting or jumping or diving. And, you know, there were baby steps. And so, you know, the, the, um, the level of challenge was very doable and, and we made it very fun. And, you know, we, we found victory where it was at in that crawl stage. And as we were, as we developed our skills and we, we were more accurate and we were more confident, then we step it up and run a little bit more and, and work at a little bit more, you know, intensity. And then our, as our competence grew even more, it just kind of began to flow out of us in a more unconscious competency. And so, you know, Part of the training is number one is to look at look at your um, look at this as a lifestyle gotcha. and to develop a lifestyle around training yourself for ultimate mastery that that state of unconscious competence you know in many areas of your life to include you know physical training and you know the, these mental toughness or mental development skills. But you must begin where you're at, which is understanding your set point, and then, you know, do a little bit every day. And so you can eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time, and you can master yourself one day at a time. And so instead of looking at the end state and saying, you know, hey, I want to be like Coach Divine, or I want to be, you know, like uh, Tadashi Nakamura, which who was my mentor, you know, I didn't look at that. I just said, I'm going to come in and train hard today and, you know, try to improve myself by 1% today. But, you know, 1% every day improvement, you know, adds up pretty quickly, right? It's, it ultimately leads to geometric growth. Yeah. But, um, well, how, and then how do you, but how do you deal with setbacks? Like, say like you wake up one day and like, it just, yeah, you know, you're trying to be like cool, calm and collected, but yeah, right. you couldn't keep it together. And you're just like, cause that happens to me sometimes like, man, sure. I screwed up today. I'm just going to give up, you know? So what, how do you deal <laughs> with setbacks with like, in the, with the way the seal, uh, method to be attached to uh not be attached to the outcomes of those things like gotcha. you do the best you can and one of my uh one of my daily training drills is is called the evening uh ritual and the evening ritual really is a it's a look back at your day and then it's a silver line you find the silver lining so anything you did if if you're if you're comfortable and happy with the results you know you acknowledge that hey i did a good job with that that was cool good you know so you're you're developing confidence but then anything like you just suggested that that really didn't sit right with you, like you screwed up or you really embarrassed yourself or, you know, <laughs> that kind of situation where you just want to throw in the towel. You know, you basically look at that and say, you know what, I'm not perfect. I tried my best. What can I learn from that situation? And you will inevitably find a really important lesson when you, uh, when you get out of your own way and say, okay, yeah, that's the lesson there. Mm -hmm. And so then you clear the ground and you go to, you know, go to bed that night with a victory, you know, so everything was a victory, even your screw ups. And so then, you know, you get up the next day and you do it again, right. And you, and you just do the best you can try to improve by 1%. And then you look back at the end of the evening and say, okay, what, what did I do well, what didn't go so well. And then what did I learn from those? And then, so turn the failures into victories and then just, keep on rolling forward and you know it tends to be very motivating you know you you really i call it a lifetime of no regrets right in fact there's a, a great quote it's like better to suffer the temporary pain of discipline than a lifetime of regret mm, yeah. and that's one way to do that it's awesome great stuff well thanks i, I appreciate the advice um 
So your book, Way of the Seals, is directed at both genders, both men and women. Right. And I know that both men and women can attend your um, your training camps, right? Right. Um, but is there something specific or a specific benefit that you think men can get from following the Way of the Seal? Absolutely. You know, I think that um, what I've noticed in society is that you know, people who find seal fit, it's very much of an aspirational and an inspirational training. And when people start to train the way that I recommend, which is what I, I call integrated warrior development, I mean, we're actively not just trying to kick your ass, but we're trying to make you a better human being. And I focus on five human you know, capacities, your physical development as a human, your mental development, your emotional development, your intuitional development and awareness. I use those two words interchangeably. And then your spiritual development. And we, and we train those through our, um, through our different training methods so that you uh, develop in a more balanced manner. And it leads to kind of an accelerated growth and a, a greater sense of um, being in control. And you feel really good about yourself and you feel like a man. You know, you feel really freaking solid. And a lot of people, you know, look to the SEALs and say, wow, guys, you're kind of like the modern day Spartans, you know, mm -hmm. and it's very aspirational. People think SEALs are all studs. And, you know, physically they are, mentally they're smart, but it's because they train for it, right? They're not just, you know, we're not just born this way. We've decided that we wanted to be unique and wanted to, you know, show up as uncommon in the world. And so we train for it, you know, but if, if a SEAL gets out of the Navy and stops training, guess what? He's going to backslide until he's kind of common, you know, and I actually know a couple guys who backslid and got into alcohol and then, you know, they were they were pretty damn common and miserable, right? And so it's the training that's the secret sauce, you know, and the training in, a, in a, a lifetime manner. You know, it's every day. It's not just for an event. And to train in an integrated manner so that you're, you're covering all these capacities so you don't grow unbalanced and teeter-totter over someday. Very good. Well, Mark Devine, this has been a fantastic conversation. Hoo-yah. Thank you for your time. Hoo-yah, indeed. Yeah, it's been great. I really appreciate it, friend. Our guest today was Mark Devine. Mark is the author of the book, The Way of the Seal, and you can find that on Amazon.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you'd like to support our podcast, really appreciate it if you would go online to whatever service you use to listen to your podcast, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, and give us a rating. That'll help us... Uh, you know, be exposed to more listeners and help the podcast grow. And so until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.